This is Dialogue with Drake and Abu. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Sweta Abu. This is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. This past year has been a transformative and historic one for the Black community of PEI. In June 2020, as part of the Black Lives Matter movement, over 10,000 people peacefully marched to end systemic racism. That was followed up by a petition from the Black Cultural Society of PEI, tabled in the Legislative Assembly and signed by 2,271 Islanders to perform an extensive review of all legislation and policies, applying an inclusive and racially focused lens, with an immediate focus on education, healthcare, well-being, and job security. Following these historic events, the Black Cultural Society of PEI hired their first ever executive director, Tamara Steele. Then, following this, followed one of the biggest celebrations of Black History Month yet, with a jam-packed month of events such as the panel discussion at the Confederation Center of the Arts, the Black History Month gala, and the Black History Month film showing at City Cinema. On top of this, the Black Cultural Society launched the first ever Black Business Directory. All of this on top of COVID-19. Then came budget season. Provincially, the 2021-22 operating budget included investments into BIPOC communities and nonprofits, and, for the first time ever, operational funding to the Black Cultural Society. Federally, the 2021 budget included $200 million to the establishment of a Black-led philanthropic endowment fund within Employment and Social Development Canada. In addition, $100 million were invested into the Supporting Black Canadian Communities Initiative, also within Employment and Social Development Canada. With us today is an artist, mobilizer, leader, office stationery lover, and the first ever executive director of the Black Cultural Society, Tamara Steele. Well, Tamara, thank you so much for joining us today uh, to chat about the work that the Black Cultural Society has been doing. Our first very serious question for you is, how are you? I'm good. I'm really, I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm busy. The phrase I've been, I've been using lately is I'm, I'm in a really calm state of overwhelm. <laughs> mm. Okay, I like but, that. I might use that too in the future. Yeah, you can use that. Uh, now, I'm like good. Like I've, I've, I feel like there's a lot happening, but it's um, mm-hmm. it's all work that I love to do. So mm-hmm. it's it's overwhelming at times, but it's it's still just like I'm in a really good place with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always like there's good busy and there's bad busy. Good busy is when things get done. Bad busy is yeah. when you're just putting out fires. Uh, speaking of one of the things keeping you busy, you started as the executive director of the Black Cultural Society of PEI um, in January. Can you tell us mm-hmm. about the work you've been doing in this role thus far? Um, <laughs> spinning my wheels a little bit. It feels like there's a lot to be done. Mm. We're st- we spent a lot of time developing our um, redeveloping our internal structure mm-hmm. um, the last half of 2020. Um, and then this year, it's been a lot of setting up an office that we've mm. never had an office before. So like little things that are like, they need to get done, but it's not the work I need to be doing, but mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. literally bought a printer last week <laughs> mm-hmm. it's um, exciting. but at the same it is very exciting I I have been an admin assistant for 14 years so like that's all that stuff is kind of my jam mm-hmm. I have, like I'm a stationary geek like I love that stuff <laughs> so that that stuff has been happening and that's probably been the most stressful thing um because on top of that it's just like I just want that to be done or can someone else do yeah. that for me because on top of that, I'm still like attending all the meetings. I'm still engaging with government. I'm still mm-hmm. um, trying to put together committees. I'm still um, mm-hmm. trying to develop our work plan for the year. And um, so it's a lot of that kind of pre-work work that is so important mm-hmm. and that will get us to um, being able to run the programs and and you know develop the programs and in, in services that we want to be 
offering to our communities. Um, but it's just this whole chunk of work that needs to happen first that just feels like a lot of prep. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where that's what I've been doing. Also, um, Black History Month happened in there. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that was a whole a whole month of um, it was a whirlwind of a month of programming, um, which took away from all the other stuff I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, but was a, a really um, Black History Month is always a really welcome uh, time of year for us. Mm -hmm. And it's it's such great programming and we have so much fun with it. So very, very happy that we got to do that this year at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And I remember back in February listening to CBC Radio 1 on my walk to work in the morning and you talking about Black History Month, the the programming um, that was being done. And so um, uh, it, I feel as though it's been such a transformative year for you folks. Like you said, like there's kind of like the not so sexy things about being a new organization and yeah. building that capacity. And um, I should preface, not so sexy for some. Uh, Sweta said she was excited that you got a printer and you said you love stationery. So, <laughs> you know, some of this stuff could be really, really riveting. <laughs> anyone, who, anyone who's been in contact with me for the last like month knows that I was super jazzed about this printer. It's just been <laughs> every meeting I've had, every conversation I've had, I'm just like, I need to get a printer. My printer hasn't arrived. I, have Where's my <laughs> mm -hmm. I got that excited about a filing cabinet once so I can understand it I did about three weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> now I have to ask Tamara just out of my own curiosity this printer sounds pretty friggin good what kind of printer did you get it's just a printer it's a multi-purpose okay. printer it's a okay. brother okay it's it, the the hype it was too much hype for what it is. It was just that I needed it and I couldn't get it. And I tried to get it in a couple of places and mm. I finally found the right one. It's an, it's an inkjet of all things. It's okay. not, I know it's not a laser printer, but the price was right. And the size was right. And it, it I'm really excited that it prints 11 by 17. Mm. I can print small envelopes and 11 by 17 papers. So oh, nice. I, wow. And the color, the color is really nice. <laughs> and the ink doesn't bleed too much which is a surprise for an ink jet so mm -hmm. got this really cool ink vestment tank they call it so the ink that it comes look see this is what happens you get me talking about office equipment <laughs> it's got this ink vestment tank that apparently um the ink that it comes with which is just like the smaller um tanks uh will last you for like a year Oh, nice. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, I'm I'm into it. We'll see how long they last. Mm -hmm. That's awesome to hear, and and I'm glad you're you're excited about it too. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's been so much happening in the last year for you folks, not just the printer, but like you said, all that kind of developmental stuff, setting up the office, accessing funding, um, and I think like when we reflect back. I know I really think of June 2020 as kind of a pivotal moment. Um, I know myself and Sweta and many of our friends um, were part of the over 10,000 people that attended the peaceful march to end systemic racism um, in the Black Lives Matter march that was, of course, led by you wonderful folks at the Black Cultural Society. Um, and this, of course, resulted in the petition that was being passed around at the time, um, which 2,271 Islanders signed um, and then was tabled by PEI's first ever black MLA, Gore McNeely, calling on the government to, quote, perform an extensive review of all legislation and policies applying to an inclusive and racially focused lens with an immediate focus on education, health care, well-being and job security. So uh, a really pivotal moment. Um, and since then, um, what has the follow up been like for you folks uh, since tabling this historic uh, petition? So since we tabled that, we, um, we've been having a number of meetings with the government. Mm. Um, with diff we've been meeting with different departments throughout the government, um, just talking about <clears throat> identifying some, like, can we start identifying gaps? Can we start um, figuring out where the issues lie? Mm -hmm. um, so it's been a lot of those conversations so far. Mm -hmm. um, the government is starting to a lot of the a lot of the work is just starting to happen now mm 
Mm -hmm. So it's taken almost a year, but in that year, it's just been a lot of just having conversations. And then um, at the same time, we were in that, um, in that transitional phase too. Mm. So we called for the work to be done and then immediately went into this transitional phase where we were strategic planning and, and, you know, changing our organizational status and, Mm. um, you know, trying to get recruit new board members and, um, and all of that took us basically the rest of the year. So it's been, um, and, and then trying to secure some operational funding and that Mm. sort of thing. So once we got that stuff, um, sorted uh that's when a lot of the conversations started to happen so they've really just been happening this year mm-hmm. um some of the conversations started last year like um we met with the premier last year so we had mm-hmm. some conversations we had uh some meetings with the minister of education last year and the school board last year so those conversations have um, been started uh, but there was a bit of a pause there for a lot of the last half of 2020. Mm-hmm. So this year we're picking everything up now. I've, I've got, um, we've got a citizen engagement committee going um, that um, some consultants that were hired by the government have put together. Uh, so I'm chairing that committee and, and that committee is cool. just starting to work on identifying gaps in policies um, along with the task force within government. Um, so the consultants are working with both groups and we're, like I said, we're our first, uh, we've had three meetings so far and our first meeting where we actually get to look at some policy is uh, uh, next week. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, like it's exciting and it's all just starting to happen. And um, it's really exciting for me to see that uh, that's something that, that we started that the Black Cultural Society called for is starting to happen. Mm. Uh, that it was taken seriously. And I think you're right that June 2020 was a transitional moment and that March was really powerful and it um, and the petition was really powerful. And um, I think it just allowed allowed the right people to see that uh, mm. that you know their normal isn't everybody's normal and um, some things are really problematic and need to be changed and um, and they're they're taking that to heart, and they're doing they're starting to do the work. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's hard, and it's something very new, um, especially to government. So um, they're being very careful with it, um, and that's appreciated for mm-hmm. sure. So, um, mm-hmm. so it's going to take some time, but the work is definitely starting now, and that's really exciting to to see and to start to be able to dig into. Mm-hmm. And I think too, it's it's really exciting to hear um, how much respect and I think um, time has been put into identifying the Black Cultural Society as a key stakeholder and not just saying, oh, you know, let's consult type thing, but like actually, okay, like let's genuinely engage and work together. And, and like you said, yeah. it, it takes time, but um, it's, it's promising, I think, to hear that that work is being done. I know it's early days, but are there any particular focus areas that you folks have identified that you say, this is a massive issue and it may be big, but we need to start picking away at it? Um, not really yet. So like I said, the first meeting where we're actually going to look at some policy is next week. Mm. Um, So what has happened so far is there was a survey that went around to businesses and organizations where they um, just let us know what what policies they have in place to benefit um, basically marginalized populations. Mm -hmm. Um, So that survey was done, the results have been summarized and we're just, we'll be starting to look at those mm-hmm. next week. and through through the responses we got, that's where we'll start identifying gaps. So, um, you know, we can name gaps that, excuse me, that we all experience, but as far as um, officially identifying the gaps that actually exist within the policies, we're just starting to do that. So we haven't identified them yet. Obvious ones that I think we already know is the education system. Mm-hmm. So uh, like I've got a, just scheduled a meeting, uh, scheduled it yesterday for next week with um, 
some of the curriculum specialists. So, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm slowly piecing together an education subcommittee. So mm. that committee and then these edu- these curriculum specialists will hopefully work uh, together to develop, start developing some of that curriculum. I've been in touch with um, an organization in Halifax who has developed some curriculum for higher levels. I want to look into getting curriculum developed for for mm. uh, the younger grades. Um, so that it's it's all happening, but it's all just starting right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, you brought up education and education was one of the policy areas that was outlined in the original petition that was put forward. And we know historically in PEI and across Canada that historic, the history aspect of Black Canadians in the K-12 uh, education um, is very much lacking. And it's very, it's really not focused on, uh, you know, understanding racial inequalities. Uh, over the last year, we've had a chance to speak to one of our friends from Black Lives Matter, Fredericton, um, in fall 2020. And one of the specific asks that they had was to call upon the government of New Brunswick to incorporate content on the history of slavery, segregation, and systemic oppression in New Brunswick and Canada into the public school curriculum of New Brunswick. Now, you just mentioned this is the work that you're starting next week as well. Um, but right off the top of your head, are there any you know specific areas that you predict will have to be focused on when we're looking at developing content? All those areas you just mentioned, I think, <laughs> I mean, that's the key, right? I mean, um, I think that there's a, there's a general uh, understanding, I guess, that uh, Black history began when Europeans discovered Africans, <laughs> right? And I, I think that we just need to, I think there needs to be a clarification through curriculum that that's, that's not how that went. That's, you know, that was a part of it, but there was a lot that happened before that. I think that there, um, I think that there needs to be a focus on teaching these things earlier, Mm. um, teaching about how we came here, teaching about slavery in a more truthful, uh, in a more truthful context. Um, And, um, and starting to teach these things earlier and normalizing people of color in curriculum and Mm. in um, textbooks and not just talking about slavery, but just in general, um, mm. you know, having images of people of color in their in their curriculum, talking about people from different places, and and not um, n- not treating black societies as a monolith, and mm. and um, for example, um, and just just showing that different people exist and we don't exist because Europeans discovered us. Um, Yeah, that's, that's my thinking right now without having actually met with the committee and and identifying what we want to teach, but ultimately um, the things that um, Hussein has identified are, are the things that people are thinking about and wanting to incorporate Mm -hmm. in general. Yeah. That's awesome. And what has the preliminary feedback been like on this so far from, you know, the various education stakeholders, be it the Department of Education, Public Schools Branch, uh, Teachers Federation, or the PI Home and School Association? Yeah, so we haven't, uh, we haven't spoken to the Teachers Federation or the Home and School Association yet. Mm -hmm. Um, They're definitely on our list. I'm hoping that they'll, we can have members um, as part of this committee. I have spoken to a few teachers, individually um, and then like I said the Minister of Education it was the previous Minister of Education that we had spoken with and and, um, and we spoke to the previous head of the school board and the current head of the school board as well and I mean ultimately everyone seems on board everyone seems to understand that this is important and um, that it's going to be a, a bit of a task but and um, I've I've it has been made clear to me that new curriculum takes three years to implement. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, I was surprised by that too, but um, I think it makes sense. They develop, you know, a year to develop the curriculum and then a year pilot. And then um, I can't remember what the third year is, or maybe it gets implemented in the third year or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it I'll, just another thing that takes time, but everyone seems on board and everyone seems like um, maybe like a calm state of overwhelm. It's a lot <laughs> to think about. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it's a lot to think about. I think it's a lot to think about um, putting more work on the teachers um, because teachers do a lot and teachers are responsible for a lot and Absolutely. to, um, to give them more things to teach is a lot. So, um, but that can't be a reason to not teach these things that need to be taught. So, um, so yeah, just there'll, there'll be some working around how that looks in our school system and our curriculum, but um, it sounds like people are on board to start trying to get that done and do that work. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really excited for it, even if it takes four years to get incorporated. <laughs> I think um, we definitely would prefer yesterday, but um, follow the process and integrate that uh, essential content into the curriculum. Um, All in due time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One really other exciting thing, uh, I know we mentioned it earlier, but uh, this past year, the Black Cultural Society secured for the first time ever operational funding, which, yeah. as we know, for nonprofits is integral to be able to do the work that you do. Um, oftentimes, we know nonprofits work off the side of their desk, a lot of volunteer hours, um, but it, it definitely makes a difference when there's that uh, government-funded operational funding in which you folks uh, received $100,000. So how does that money impact the wonderful work that you folks do? So I'll just clarify, we did not receive $100,000 okay. directly. Mm -hmm. um, we so some of that money is definitely for us for operational funding some of that money is actually um part of the public art fund for the bog okay. memorial okay okay thank you for yeah. that clarification yeah um but all of it is necessary so um mm -hmm. yeah we're very happy for that support we're um but we also um yeah, our office space is covered in, in some of that as well. So um, actually, let me think about it. Is it covered or is it on top of that? It's in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really exciting. It's um, I wouldn't be sitting here. I would still be doing this off the side of my desk if it weren't for the support. So mm -hmm. um, we're so, so, so grateful to be able to do this. Um, like I said, I was at my last job for 14 years, almost 15 years, and for the last two, I've been doing, uh, spending a lot of time doing this um, as the president of the society, um, mm. off the side of that desk and in the evenings and the weekends. And um, very grateful to my husband who has been reminding me to sleep and putting bowls of food <laughs> in front of my face so I will eat it. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, um, the, I, I think it's it's gotten us here. It, bought me a printer. Nice. <laughs> um, but it's also like it's covering my salary so that I can do this and um, and and theoretically not burn myself out by Absolutely. having another job. Um, this was essentially just a second full-time job I was having on top of my other full-time job mm -hmm. or even more than that. So um, I think it's going to allow us to be able to leverage some of that funding to get more funding. Mm. Um, it's allowing us um, kind of that uh, financial integrity um, to allow us to get other funding from other organizations to diversify our funding so that our programming can grow and, um, and we can start really, I mean, the part of the big transition that we made was um, transitioning our mandate from being an organization that raises awareness of um, black culture to an organization that actually supports the black community mm. um, through programs and services. So this is really allowing us to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
No, that's that's awesome to hear. And uh, another area of the budget uh, was the establishment of a $1 million microloan program that was to support um, BIPOC uh, as well as women and two SLGBTQ plus folks uh, to start a business. Um, and so, uh, of course, uh, included in that would be black folks. And so how do you feel this microloan program would impact uh, either some of the work that you folks are doing or some folks in the black community? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we're we not a business, so that it's not going to impact us directly, as in we won't be accessing those funds to use them. Um, I don't think I need to look a little bit more closely in the terms of those, that, that program, but um, I think it'll be hugely beneficial to, to Black businesses, Black entrepreneurs that are trying to start businesses. I mean, those startup funds are in integral and hard to come by. Um, mm -hmm especially for marginalized communities. So um, ultimately, you know, we like to see grants. <laughs> we like to see grants and contributions, but um, microloans are nice because I, I think that that, I think that has the opportunity to help these new businesses build their financial stability and build their financial credibility as well um, in terms of just getting money and paying it back and, you know, building their credit as a business. Um, yeah. So I think between, between just being able to have startup funds, which is where a lot of people get stuck um, mm -hmm. that are specifically um, for these marginalized communities to use mm -hmm. is super important. And then, and then that other aspect, that like side aspect of building your financial credibility as a business. Yeah. Yeah, I think that both of those are really important. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, you know, a few times throughout this interview, we've kind of mentioned just how pivotal the last year has been in terms of strides gained by the anti-racism movement. A big catalyst for this was, of course, the murder of George Floyd last May uh, by Derek Chauvin, who was at the time a police officer. And just this last week, um, the, the ex-cop was found guilty on all counts for this murder. Um, and we know that this verdict is just a drop in the bucket. This isn't going to overhaul the entire system, but you know that things need to change to make things more equitable for everyone. But what do you think this guilty verdict says about this activism that has happened over the last year? It's a good question. I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm still thinking through that mm -hmm. um, because <laughs> Take your time. I mean, obviously, part of me is like, this is great. But part of me is like, I mean, you had a, a four week trial mm -hmm. to determine a guilty verdict on a murder that happened on camera. Right. And I understand it wasn't about did he murder George Floyd or not? It was about the hold and was it, you know, excessive force and was that a was that a, a legal police hold, like a you know, a, a, a hold that they learn and whatever. Um, that doesn't negate the fact that he murdered someone on camera and then they needed yeah. to debate about it for four weeks mm -hmm. um, and that the jury took 10 hours to deliberate them, um, but whatever, it was a guilty verdict and that's awesome. Um, part of me wonders if, I mean, I'm not one to typically believe in conspiracy theories or anything, but I, I've just got all these random, this is why I say I'm still thinking through it. Like, mm -hmm. did they do that so that America didn't burn down? <laughs> mm -hmm. Did they do that because they knew if he if they called him not guilty, America would be on fire. Um, the entire country, I don't think, would have survived that. Mm -hmm. um, did they do it because um, someone realized they needed a scapegoat? Mm -hmm. 
or they needed um, just like something to calm people down? Mm-hmm. Um, or do they genuinely believe that he is guilty and deserves to rot in prison? Mm-hmm. So um, hopeful on one end that this is some, this is sparking some sort of change in the system. Mm-hmm. particularly in America, because what they do has such a profound effect on what everyone else around the world does, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but also just like cautious that, you know, you know those people who just say what you want to hear in the moment. I'm, I'm cautious that maybe it's that kind of scenario too. So mm-hmm. ultimately I'm glad he's going to jail. I guess. <laughs> I don't have any solidly thought through answers for that question yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know one of the things that had come across my mind as well when that verdict happened was what happens next? Is this going to, you know, is this just one case in, to prevent, as you said, to prevent America from burning down? Or is it just a first step in a series? of many steps to really overhaul the system as it exists. But, you know, what this case and many others uh, have, you know, underlined over and over again is the role that law, law enforcement plays when it comes to actively marginalizing BIPOC communities, um, not just in America, you know, even in Canada and around the world. So if you had to think of a reform of this system to, you know, make things safer for everyone, what are some things that you'd like to see incorporated in that? I think the number one thing for me would be to have mental health professionals respond to mental health calls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially here in Canada, because I mean, some people think that, you know, that sort of thing doesn't happen in Canada, but pe- black people and indigenous people are dying at the hands of law enforcement in Canada, and a lot of the time it's due to calling for help in a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think number one for me would be to somehow incorporate mental health professionals within within that system so that when those calls come through, that's who responds. Mm I and. I just lost my train of thought. Um, I think that, oh yeah, I think that um, there needs to be more consideration for restorative justice practices. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there needs to be accountability, obviously, for police who think they can just pull their gun out as the first thing. Um, Or mistake their tasers for guns (laughs) after 26 years in service. Um, yeah those would be my those would be my my top two I think would be my top three I guess would be um, incorporating mental health professionals restorative justice and uh, accountability Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's so interesting you mentioned that too Tamara I think this might be I think at least the fourth or fifth episode where we've talked about um, mental health first response on PEI and just some of the different um, programs that have been announced and various changes, I think because people recognize there is such a requirement to have mental health as that focal point as a first responder. And um, so I, I hope we continue to have these conversations because it, it's been a reoccurring theme from a number of different people we've talked about. So um, definitely point well taken. Um, and I somehow got all the money questions, but <laughs> go into another uh, question about money. Um, of course, uh, the federal budget was released last week. Um, mm. and this uh, was very exciting as it was the first official budget in, I think, 25 
someone correct me, I think 25 months. Um, and this included a $200 million uh, investment into the establishment of the Black-led Philanthropic Endowment Fund. And that was within uh, the Department of Employment and Social Development Canada. On top of this, there was another $100 million invested into supporting Black Canadians' community initiative. Um, so both these things are huge. And really, I think like from 25 months ago, I think, you know, I don't think we would ever have thought that there'd be this $300 million investment and in specifically targeted at supporting the black community. So again, kind of on that theme of transforma transformation, it's really been exciting. Um, what are some of your key takeaways with this recent announcement? I think that this is really great. I think that um, this, this announcement I think for me uh, shows the commitment that the government has to um, making at least this one thing right. So mm -hmm. um, when I say this one thing, I mean, uh, I mean the barriers that have been created for the black community for years and years and years and years. Um, it shows their commitment to acknowledging it and to doing what they can to um, to remedy that in some way. And um, do I think that this money will fix everything? No, it's gonna take a while to fix everything. Mm -hmm. um, is it possible to fix everything? I don't know, I, I feel hopeful. Sometimes I'm unreasonably optimistic, um, but I, I do think that this is a huge step. I think that investing in the black communities um, is huge, I mean, they've got 20 million, $200 million for um, an endowment fund that is specifically for the black community to support not-for-profits, right? In mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously that one hits home for me because that's where I'm sitting, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but also committing funds, they announced that they're committing funds to uh, Stats Canada to start collecting race-based data. That's huge. Yes. That's yeah. huge. The reason they say that there's no issue and there's, um, you know, that black people don't get treated differently is because they don't have the data to show what's actually happening. Exactly. Um, so, so that's major, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot they've got. They've got money in that budget to support early learning and childcare. They've got a huge, a huge amount to support early learning and childcare. So I'm a, uh, I mean, a lot of the programs haven't been rolled out yet, so I don't know ultimately what they're going to look like. I have yeah. questions about how the money's getting distributed. Um, who's distributing that money? Are they going to have intermediaries within, like, organizations within the Black community, like us, for example, who could um, take on some of that task of disseminating that money to the community mm. um, as an intermediary? Yeah. I think that would be ideal who decides who gets to use the money. I have questions about that. Um, but ultimately I think it's, I think this is an, this is an excellent initiative and I was really happy to see, um, to see that announcement come down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we hope to see, you know, some of this funding go to the Black Cultural Society in the future as well. Yeah. Now, our last formal question for you is, what can we look forward to from the Black Cultural Society for the rest of the year? Uh, <laughs> a calm state of overwhelm if, if, yeah <laughs> if i you know i think that it's going to be again call me unreasonably optimistic but i i think this year for us is going to be amazing i think i'm so excited because actually tomorrow morning is when we're going to have a little retreat i'm going to have a little retreat with the board oh, nice the first half of the day um, together finalizing our work the year um, and I think that when we come out of that meeting I'll have a list of all the projects we're going to do um, mm -hmm. and services we want to um, support or you know our, our list of priorities um, so I'm really excited to be able to just like start applying for funding for those and getting those things off the ground I've got a couple proposals in the works that I'm working on that are very exciting proposals that support the artistic community. Um, um, we've got programs that are uh, programs and, and partnerships that will support the business community. Um, and uh, there's just 
there's a lot of room to grow and I think there's going to be a lot of growth this year and I'm very, very, very excited. <laughs> I could tell by the sound in your Give voice, Tamara. You're, you're excited and <laughs> I, I think, I, I don't know, it's contagious. I think if you folks are jazzed about the upcoming year, I, I think the community is as well. And um, yeah, I really, I really look forward to the rest of the year. Um, it's still also, young like, yet. But also like the couple of things that I kind of hinted at there, but also continuing the work that we're doing, continuing these conversations about education, continuing these conversations mm-hmm. about policy and just like I'm so excited to be a part of the work to affect change within the yeah. system, change, um, addressing head-on anti-racism um, everywhere, not just in government, like the government and in business practices and and even just like within the individual, like I just, I just, I'm excited to, I'm excited to be a part of a group that's going to help make the Black community have the things they need to um, be successful here at EDI. And I think, like I said, this year will be huge for just getting some of these things off the ground and having a lot of these important conversations. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. engaging, engaging, engaging with the community. And I'm really excited to just meet more people and have more conversations. Mm-hmm. And that organizational growth. Mm-hmm. It's such a transformative time. I, I know I've said it a million times in this episode, but it sounds like, like you said, continue to work on that systemic change. And yeah, it's a bit of a long-term type deal, but I think that's also the exciting part. So um, yeah. I'm excited to to follow along and to um, participate as well. So um, yeah, that concludes our formal part. I know we had some laughs in there too. I wouldn't say it's all formal, <laughs> but um, but yeah, we're gonna transition to our extra formal part of the uh, the podcast. Um, not so extra formal, our, our beer panel, <laughs> which has taken on a life of its own. Um, it's no longer confined to just beer. I don't want to jump, uh, you know, ahead of myself here, but I feel like we would even have room for recommendations on printers. Um, but I, I don't want to make any assumptions here, uh, but it would definitely be a unique contribution. But just for our listeners, we typically share uh, different local items, whether it be beer, whether it be restaurants, whether it be recipes, whether it be, um, you know, a good price for a nice printer, who knows, it could be anything. And and Tamara, as our special guest, I'll hand things over to you. Are there any things that you would like to recommend to our listeners? I want to recommend, well, I don't drink, so I won't recommend any beers. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I have a cool thing. I said I'm a stationary geek, and this is the thing that I love. I don't have it sitting on my, actually, I do have it sitting on my desk right now. I'm going to recommend to you this thing called a rocket book. Okay. Rocket book is my reusable notebook. Um, so you can write things and trying to find a blank page. You can write things in the notebook. They come in different sizes and different colors and mine's a dotted page. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. Um, but you get these special pens. They're called Pilot is a brand and Friction is the kind of the style of pen. Mm-hmm. They come also different colors. You can get highlighters, all that stuff, all that stuff. But you write in the book. And then with the end of the pen, you can just erase it off the page. These are erasable pens on regular paper too. But the fun thing about this is they come with these this little there's a cloth in there, but they come with a little cloth, like a microfiber cloth, mm-hmm. which you can wet and you can just erase the whole page. Oh, oh no way. <laughs> you just clean the page off. Cooler than that is there's an app that you download on your phone and you can I don't know if you can see on the bottom. It's oh, got yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You program in the app what each of the, where a destination links to each of those symbols. So you write your whole page of notes, and then you check whichever symbol, and then you scan the page in the app, 
and it'll send it to wherever that symbol tells it to go to your email, to someone else's email, to a group of emails, to your Google Drive, to your Dropbox, to where, wow. wherever, wherever. <laughs> that is so and cool. The page and you save the notes digitally. It's amazing. Um, and you only need one notebook for everything. When, this is 30 pages. I've been using it for like two years. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. It's a nice hybrid, like, for people that want to have digital content but are still like classic like pen to paper type um people like in meetings where you take notes instead of type i know i'm like that so this is really cool yeah Yeah. but they the coolest and i'm i'm gonna get these for the new office um (laughs) if you have a whiteboard you can get these things that Rocketbook makes called beacons and they're just little orange triangles that go in the corner each corner of the whiteboard and Within those beacons, you can scan it just like you can scan the page in the app, and it'll save the contents of your whiteboard. Wow. That's so cool. Okay, <laughs> that was a top notch recommendation. Uh, jokes You're aside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got it at Staples. You can get it directly from the Rocket Book website. Okay. Staples supply is limited for the like size and types of notebooks that they have, but Rocket Book has lots. That's my, that's my recommendation. Well, I don't know how we'll be able to come up with anything after that. Like talking <laughs> about drinks just seems like so, I don't know, insignificant now. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, how about, how about a food one? I can give you my favorite, my, my favorite restaurant right now. Yeah. Sure. Now I'm trying to think what is my favorite restaurant? I think uh my favorite restaurant right now is a toss-up between taste of india and himalayan mm. those are my go-tos unless i need a sandwich then i go to leonard's mm. <laughs> okay so leonard's also makes the best chai latte oh okay. okay we'll have to look into that okay so if you want india, i mean taste of india or himalayan sandwich, they make go a to really leonard's. good chai latte if you want like a a really good chai latte, then you're going to want to go to Taste of India. But I really like the chai latte at Lane Arts. Mm. <laughs> there you go. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I think I'll also recommend a restaurant that has been recommended multiple times on this podcast before, and that's Slaymaker and Nicole's, which is one of my favorite spots in town. Um, I, I think it's the that. perfect place to go to on, on a Sunday for brunch. It's the food is always so good. Their eggs Benedict are to die for, and they change okay. the eggs Benedict every weekend. So um, I went there this past Sunday, and it was um, smoked Atlantic haddock and mushroom mm. with the eggs Benny. So that was a really good way to start my day, and it came mm. with these excellent potatoes and a salad. So yeah, Slaymaker and Nicole is always my go-to for brunch. That sounds mm-hmm. awesome. I haven't been there yet, and I've been wanting to try it. So maybe I'll maybe I'll try it this weekend. Mm-hmm. It's also very Instagrammable as a spot. Like everyone's Insta feeds are popping after going there. <laughs> Spoken like a true Insta expert over here. <laughs> awesome. Um, I I'm gonna try. I'm a huge fan of brunch. Mm-hmm. Do they have pancakes? I don't think so. I don't oh. think so. I'm a pancake junkie. Like, I love pancakes. I won't say junkie. I don't, like, eat them every day for every meal. But, like, I love pancakes. Pancakes mm. are delicious. But I also love Eggs Benny, so I, I will try that. <laughs> yeah. No, I like the the sound of the one with the, the haddock and mushrooms. I, I love both those things. So, mm-hmm. Do you know what restaurant I really miss? Is um my Plum My Duck. Yeah. Do you remember my Plum My Duck? Yeah. yeah. That was so good. And I... I miss it. I'm so sad they closed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On, um, I think it was uh, Great George, no, uh, University Avenue mm-hmm. on that end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Food. Mm. <laughs> Ooh, I have, a, I have another recommendation. Okay. I have a cake recommendation. Anyone who knows me knows how much I love cake. There's this newish cake spot bakery. It's do you know on Black Broccoli Point Road where Buns and Things is? Yeah. Well, like right across from the like, Glottons in there. Mm-hmm. Um, right across the street 
Buns and Things has a new bakery, newish bakery called Cakes by Buns and Things. Ooh. And their cakes are so good. <laughs> their cakes and their cupcakes and their frosting, which I typically will just like eat a little bit of frosting and then scrape the rest off because it's the cake that I want. Their frosting is so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. You know, it's so... <laughs> I might have to go there after work. <laughs> it's Friday. Why not? Friday. Let's have some cake. <laughs> Um, my recommendation is not as exciting as uh, your folks' recommendations. Um, I will I will keep in line with the cafe recommendations. Um, I think a couple weeks ago I made a recommendation for a cappuccino. I'm going to make another cappuccino recommendation. I really like uh, Kettle Black on uh, Queen Street. They have a wonderful cappuccino, and I love um, the bowl cups that they come in. It uh, it feels mm-hmm. so childish yet so fancy at the same time. <laughs> so um, that'll be my recommendation for the day. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think that's wow. all the questions we have for you, Tamara. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday morning. Uh, we know you're very busy and uh, appreciate pleasure. this. Yeah, thank you My so pleasure. much. My Thanks for having me. And that is all the time we have for today, folks. Thank you, Tamara, for sharing your expertise and insight. We can't wait to continue to follow the great work of the Black Cultural Society. As always, our opening and closing music is Gaspé Z by Shane Pendergast. You can find Shane live at the Trackety Community Center on Friday, April 30th from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. He will also be performing at the 212 Festival at Harmony House on Friday, May 7th from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Shane has another show at the 212 Festival at Harmony House the next day, Saturday, May 8th, 2021, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Following that, he has the Cayley at the Benevolent Irish Society Friday, June 4th, 2021, and that's from 8 to 10 p.m., And then another show, Shane Pendergast Live at the Harmony House, Friday, June 11th, 2021, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Finally, Shane will be live at Harmony House again on Saturday, June 12th, from 7.30 to 9.30. It's getting warm out, so we hope you're getting some fresh air. Stay safe. This has been Dialogue.